Hey, peace and blessings to you. My name is Jerry B. I am the Entree Musician. So are you. And so is this wonderful gentleman we're about to introduce you to. He is down there in Katy, Texas. Studio owner and engineer extraordinaire. And I, when I say engineer, we're going to get into like engineer because that's what he does. His name is Dave Inninger. And I can call him my new best friend. Dave, what's going on, brother? Hey, Jerry. Great, great to see you as always. Um, really appreciated the time we got to spend together and get to know each other when you were in Houston. So I'm looking forward to this because the subject we're covering tonight, as you know, is near and dear to my heart. And I think your visit to my studio, I think it's becoming near and dear to your heart as well. So, man, it's uh, in, it's just embedded into my brain okay and i can't <laughs> wait to get back there i'm looking at southwest airlines looking for <laughs> flights <laughs> flights how can i get back down to katy texas man but well uh i'll give you i'll give you a hint though wait until we get past this 100 degree heat wave that we're under right now <laughs> come later in the fall where the weather's a little better so <laughs> oh my goodness well i tell you what man you have a fantastic studio and there is a story about the studio that i want you to tell because i believe you had to rebuild it three times <laughs> yeah i'm getting i'm getting really good at building studios in this studio yeah so uh, thank you thank you for uh asking that jerry because yes sir we we built this studio or i built it with some help of some friends um and that was that was we opened it uh, for you know uh, work in about 2015, right? And um, I was graced very very much so by uh, Danny Jones, who I think you know as well, and did one of your your podcasts. Certainly. Uh, literally, Danny just came walking into my studio when I was nailing boards to the ceiling, right? And and a friend, a mutual friend, a pastor of our church, in fact, sent him to my house. And we struck up a friendship, and we've been working together ever since. And just as we were getting going, um, there was an event in Houston called the Tax Day Flood. It was April 18th. That year, in 2016, Tax Day was on the 18th, and a flood hit us. Wow. And flooded about 10 inches of water in our in our studio and in my house. Mm. So, of course, I've never been through anything like that. It was quite the, uh, you know, endeavor to recover. Of course, you've got to work with FEMA and local agencies and contractors. I'm very fortunate that one of my very best friends in the world is a contractor. And so spent a good part of a year rebuilding my house plus the studio uh we we were back up and running you know we tested everything we'd done a session or two and i left for austin august of 2017 for a, a weekend getaway with some of my friends and as i got there on a thursday my wife called me and said uh, i don't know if you noticed but there's a hurricane that spun up in the gulf mm. And that hurricane was named Harvey. 
So Hurricane Harvey, and for those of you all who are unaware, dumped 55 inches of rain on Houston, Texas in a day and a half. Right. So that time the flooding was 40 inches in my house and in the studio. And I tell people, I mean, so that morning when I woke up at a hotel knowing what had happened, you know, it was early five o'clock, every you know, family was still sleeping. I'm just kind of sitting there reflecting, knowing what I'm about to walk back into. And so, I, you know, I just went, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be transparent. I went to prayer because I didn't know what else to do. And I got this strong message back that said, you know, Dave, I got you through the first flood, so you'd make it through the second. And that really, I stood on that because I knew no matter how frustrating the whole thing was, there was something on the other side and that we would recover and it would be okay. And, and you've been to my house now, you also notice that it's now six feet off the ground. Right. right. Because I'm a firm believer in that saying, you can't keep doing the same thing and expect different results. Right. So, exactly. So I found a company that would elevate foundations and we moved in and we lifted it up. And so, uh, knock on wood, we will not flood again. Um, and so we, we really got everything back up and running and, you know, back operational, but, uh, let's just say you had to have a little bit of determination to be here today. Absolutely. Well, you know, um, it wasn't uh it wasn't uh henry ford uh whose factory burnt down who who was it uh, edison's uh laboratory uh burned down right. and uh went right back to work on rebuilding was very successful at it and of course you and i are sitting in lights so <laughs> his perseverance paid off you know yeah thankfully he kept going right like he didn't give up right yeah absolutely well you have a beautiful studio but before we and i you know again you know i enjoyed myself while i was there with everything that you played we're going to talk about the process but you are before being a recording engineer you are an engineer at heart and an engineer 40 years in an industry in another capacity is that right right so my my training is in information technology and i started out as a computer programmer 40 years ago and really have worked for some large consultancies for the last 40 years uh, advising clients and customers on how to use technology more efficiently how to recognize technology disruptions, what that means for their business, uh, how to do things, you know, a different way. And that's really how I made my living. Uh, I was a amateur guitar player, which is kind of how I got to, to this point. Always, you know, I, I mean, I have a passion for guitar, but I always, when I started playing and then playing in bands, at some point I tried to record and I realized there's gotta be a better way to do it. Like this, I, this is just not working. Like I'm not getting the sound that I would like to get. Mm-hmm. So unable to figure that out on my own, I put it on the back burner. And then years later, I had this opportunity uh, to build 
this studio uh, next to my house. And originally I was thinking it was just going to be just for myself, but uh, you know, the way things work sometimes, you know, Danny Jones, I mean, what's the chances he comes walking in to my, you know, it's really the back of my garage, walking into my studio and says, Hey, I kind of like what you're doing. How, you know, let's, let's, let's do some stuff. And we did, and we have been ever since. And, you know, it's just been a great experience for me because he's taught me more in the years we've been working than I would have ever been able to learn the rest of my life because, hmm. you know, he has equal amount of experience, probably more in recording and music production and producing. And I mean, he's the real deal, right? So it, for me, it's been very fortuitous because I'm getting an education from one of the best. Absolutely. I, I, and, and as a person, there's nobody better. So yeah. we uh, we're good friends and we work well together. And so, you know, this uh, this been a really good kind of friendship developed and we just enjoy spending time together. And you better if you're in a studio, you better like the people you're with. You're going to spend a lot of time with them. So close quarters, baby, you right. know. <laughs> No, that's that's wonderful. But with respect to uh, one one thing that you said about the first time that you tried to record, uh, where was the technology at during that time? Where were you still on two inch reels, or had you moved into Correct. computers? Uh, it was still, you know. Well, first off, I didn't know any better, so it was still, you know, I had a a Tascam four track tape recorder, right? Yeah, that was a, yeah. a few simple microphones. I didn't know anything about mic pre's or yeah there there was no uh digital audio workstations in those days and so it was just trying to figure out how to capture the sound onto tape yeah and it was a uh, it was a rough start i'll tell you that i still have those recordings they sound awful <laughs> however it's also a way to to see the progress that we've made and that i've made personally but also just you know it, the the sound that we're able to create and you've heard it now is is so much better i should have played you one of those tracks next time you come <laughs> i will and you can have a good laugh about how horrible they were no because i have my own museum of horribleness you know what i mean right. Uh, right. i i started on the task camp porter one and i blew that up uh you know smoke came from it and uh <laughs> yeah. then i had a porter two right which was you know i i thought i was somebody and then i graduated Tascam was great, though. You know, I graduated up to the 688, uh, which was an eight-track cassette, you know, and I uh, still have that. But I did some really good recordings. I finally got it together before, before I stepped into the digital realm, you know. Right. So, But it was horribleness. I got some cassettes that will send a joke through you for sure. Correct. I, I understand completely. So the digital digital realm you see that's that's my comfort zone right and so all of this uh technology that's in the studios today and we'll talk a little more about that in atmos here in a minute but yeah yeah that's my comfort zone and frankly that's why me and danny are such a strong team is i understand technology how to make it work how to integrate it troubleshoot it fix it stitch it all together yeah. And he looks at me and just says, Dave, I just want it all to work. You're right. <laughs> I'm like, yes, sir. <laughs> me too. So I'll keep at it till we figure it out. So 
Absolutely. But you, so, so going through the process, however, of uh, putting your studio together when you, your first iteration before the flood, were you into the computer technology at that point or it was mostly analog gear or what? No, that by then, yeah, by then everything was more in, in the digital world. And so, you know, cause that was, we were talking in 2015. So studios were fully up and running digitally. Mm -hmm. And for me, it just made so much more sense to do it that way. Like that, that made perfect sense. Again, fortunate for me, I had Mr. Jones to, talk to me about you know the software choices hardware choices where to spend the money where to save the money mm -hmm. uh, people call it mixing in the box which means on the computer correct so what you should do in the box versus what one should do with you know good old-fashioned i'm reaching over here to touch some hardware you know mic pre's and compressors and things that you can you can get uh as plugins however the actual hardware sounds so much better and so we spent you know a lot of time spending our money wisely in terms so we do have some actual hardware outboard that we route things through and when we record we send it through that stuff eventually it all ends up on the computer in the digital audio workstation yeah well, since since this platform is both, you know, uh, for the listener as well, for those who may be watching, um, can you talk through some of uh, the equipment that you have in the studio for those who are listening and don't have any visibility? Sure. So. We have, you know, I mean, and I, I'm going to talk mostly from this recording angle, right? Yeah. And because we certainly have, you know, musical instruments and things like that that are also needed. But from this perspective, okay, so at a minimum, you know, uh, you, you people, you'll need a digital audio workstation of some sort. And we use uh, Nuendo, that's our workstation. Um, you got to really have a pretty mean computer what i mean by that is one with ample amounts of hard drive and ram because uh those that read those resources are are required because of the the size and volume of the data that moves across the computer when you're in a recording studio right. you gotta have a pretty ample recording studio we have a, a nice array of um hardware the 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 heart of my studio is made by antelope and it's a product called goliath mm. and i could talk a whole day on what that thing does but it's basically your your io device that's how you get that's your digital converter so first your analog signal converted to digital and, and that's how it gets to the computer uh, but it also it's a very quality set of mic pre's on this antelope goliath and a lot and i mean a lot of different ways to route sound in and out and so it gives you options you know there's there's standard you know just xlr inputs and outputs but then there's also maddie and speedif and i mean it's a long list the thing is incredible 
the amount of options that'll give you to get sound to and from a computer or to or from a piece of equipment. Uh, I'll tell you one of the things that Danny taught me really early in this, that, you know, most people who've been in studios are going to just kind of like, well, duh. But for me, being new to this, that was to build a really good patch bay. Mm. And all the equipment goes into the patch bay. And then the patch bay is how you route the sound between a certain mic pre to a certain compressor to, you know, microphones. And so, you know, your signal chains is microphone in the studio, you know, into a mic pre into perhaps a compressor or a summing amplifier or something like that. Yeah. And then onto your digital audio workstation. So the, the, the patch bay is really, you know, critical. It's, that's also kind of the, 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 the heartbeat, if you will, of the studio is how you move and change, you know, where you're routing different signals. Right. Um, and we have a nice selection, you know, we have some Focusrite mic pre's, we have some API mic pre's, we have some Hardy mic pre's, we have some uh, Rupert Neve uh, equipment that's really, really nice. And we don't, we didn't spend our money on volume, that wasn't really necessary for what we we're trying to do, it was just quality. And there's a balance, because this can turn into a big money pit if one isn't careful. Uh, so we, again, having Danny has been a huge help because it helped me understand where to spend money wisely and why. So, right. No, that I understand that. Now, uh, tell me because you are an engineer and there have been war stories between different recording studios, engineers and techies, if you would forgive my description. Uh, but there are the Mac people. <laughs> there are the windows people when it comes yeah. to recording studios and you're nothing if you don't have a mac from an engineering standpoint you know I, what is your so, perspective can you so, put that to rest so, so i'm i'm a windows guy <laughs> right i was i was there you know when the first pcs were invented right <laughs> and and you know uh, uh dos based xt machine kind of laughable five megabyte hard drive you know and almost no no ram whatsoever and it was all like basic programming and things and i've just spent so many years on in the windows environment that i just know how to make it work gotcha. it is it is slightly limiting because in the music industry as you said uh, mac comes first so these companies you know typically they always make they certainly will make a product for the mac and then they'll come back and they'll make it available on windows and then linux eventually and other other operating systems that really hasn't handicapped us too much because most by the time we were doing this most of the things we needed were already readily available on windows and i get it i get people you know they have a preference uh, but also, I mean, the Windows equipment is more readily available and more affordable. Now, nothing, nothing wrong with the quality of Macs. They work, they run, they last a long time. And they're slightly higher in price for what you get. And people will debate that like, you know, oh, no, no, and Macs are cheap, whatever. 
I'm just telling you, that's been my experience. Yeah. So I'm perfectly happy in the Windows world, and we've made all this work in in the you know Windows environment. So. Yeah, well, I'm I'm a Windows guy too, and um, I don't know. Like I said before, there's been some really interesting conversation about why Mac is so much better. I'm not an engineer. I'm more of a creative, you know, and I can get sound to tape or to my DAW, of yep. course, but the mechanism of what's going on inside, I've maxed out my RAM. I think I'm doing pretty good. In fact, I had Sweetwater uh, build my computer. I have a creation station and uh, never had a yep. problem with it based on Windows, obviously. But can you say emphatically, you know, not just preference. Is there something going on technically or as an engineer that you can say, well, Mac, I, I'm, I'm cool with Windows, but Mac is better. Or, I mean, I, I guess I'm looking for concrete here. No. So uh, let me tell you a little secret. At the core, it's all ones and zeros. <laughs> <laughs> it's all digital. They, they, they do different things based on the software companies write for them. Uh-huh. But at the core, they're they pretty much they have you know CPUs and processors. They have memory. They have hard drives. The operating systems is where the difference comes in, and and they're constantly making upgrades to those, trying to improve the throughput and the speed and that type of thing. And then of course, the application layer is is different because different people write for a different operating system and that's that's where they become different but at the core it's all digital it's all ones and zeros and so this is this is you know people you know they they, they like what they like and i'll tell them good if you're good if you're good at using that then use it if you're comfortable using that then you know then, then that's fine that's a fine choice so uh, sometimes I think people get close-minded about that. I would use Apple products, except I know how to fix the Windows stuff and troubleshoot it. It's intuitive to me. So if I were to go over to an Apple platform, I would be frustrated a bit. But I'll tell you something also I believe in. If there was a compelling reason, like some product that I needed that was only available on Apple, then I would make it happen because, you know, frankly, in my larger career, I've used Unix machines and Linux machines. I, I, I started on MVS, which was the operating system for mainframe computers. So, and I've always, I've always said, you know, let, let the, the need, the application drive the hardware, not the other way around. Right, right. Um, People sometimes will make a mistake. They'll go out and buy a certain computer and then say, what can I run on this? Versus what is it I'm trying to do and what computer will run it, right? Mm -hmm. So that's, that's, the, that's the way to think about it. That's excellent. Absolutely excellent. So I'm going to ask you an entrepreneurial question because, you know, this is the Entree Musician. And being that you run a recording studio and you have clients, uh, for the young engineer who's sitting out there who's just starting in the field of being a studio owner and wants to do this as a business, what 
uh, are the quick do's and don'ts that you would tell him or her so that they would position themselves for success? Well, well the first, first thing, thing I'd say, say don't, don't do, do it. it. No, <laughs> just, <laughs> just kidding. Uh, so, you know, Jerry, I, so again, I'm, I'm relatively new to this music industry mm. and I can tell you, I've seen a lot of people struggling to make a fair living, right? And, you know, the, the way I'm, I'm, I'm learning more, I tend to be kind of shocked by how the people who are making the content, right? The creatives, the musicians, the studios, the engineers, I mean, they're kind of, the people creating, you know, the 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 content are benefiting it from benefiting from that the least. Correct. And that's got to change, right? Yeah. That's got to change. Now, someone thinking about getting into this and building up um, a studio. A lot of people, you know, there's a lot of capability. A lot of people do things in home studios which is a good way to start. I would say, um, you know, phone a friend, like find somebody like Dave that can help you, coach you, mentor you. I just say, I started this by saying I had Danny Jones, right? I mean, Not I had a, gets that type of show. I had a huge advantage. <laughs> right. So, and I'm, and I'm also kind of person that's willing to share, but spend your money wisely. Um, and, and, and talk to people and understand like, really, where should I start? So I would say, obviously the digital audio workstation is important. A few good microphones, some really quality mic pre's, yeah. right? Maybe one really good compressor, spend your money on quality items versus quantity of things. That's a real, relatively good, a, a nice set of speaker stereo, uh, or I'm sorry, studio monitors. You know, that's that's a reasonably good place to start and won't break the bank. Yeah. One of the things that, again, having to learn all this that I, I didn't understand is all that equipment in the wrong room will kill you. So... The treatment, dimensions, what you do to the room is critically important. If you if you look behind me, you're going to see it almost looks like artwork. Yeah. But that is actually a what they call a diffusion system. And it's four panels. It's it's a mathematical equation for optimal diffusion of sound. And Danny, you know, had been sitting on this for years, always wanting to make it. He found an engineer, you know, out on the Internet who had this design. And me being, you know, one of my hobbies is construction and I build stuff. So I just built those panels according to his mathematical equation and what a difference it makes. But learning about diffusion, absorption, you know, bass traps room treatment. That's all, again, I had an advantage, but it's all things that you're going to have to consider when you start talking about, you know, trying to, to create. It's one thing to have a home studio and to learn the craft. 
but when you're starting to try to really make records yeah the room that you're mixing that record in you know makes all the difference in the world so the treatment you know the diffusion the absorption the bass traps all of that stuff makes a huge difference what about uh dealing with clientele's like booking sessions and uh you know who is coming into the studio and why i i'll, I'll tell you this from my perspective and then i'd love to hear yours because i have a, sure. uh, a business partner right on the edge of town who owns a building and he has the studio and whatnot and one of the first things we began discussing was you know the type of clientele we wanted to serve you know we both are christ followers and it was important that our values and our principles you know and some people would say well that's not helping you monetarily i mean you know you're picking and choosing when you should just have a sign a sign on the door you know and a phone number but we decided that we did not want to run that business that way um, right. Do you have any, you know, perspectives as to who you will record and who you want or you just, hey, it's in the digital yellow pages and the person can call and book time at across the road? Right. Well, first off, so we are a private studio. So uh, I have yet to take anybody who just kind of walk up off the street. Gotcha. And that's because this is at my house basically yeah, so yeah. so and i have a family wife grandchildren children you know things to consider in this equation um and i understand exactly where you're coming from you know i'll say it like this you know uh, the kingdom of god is for everybody right and 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 the gospel is for everybody so i will you know i've, I've had a lot of different interesting folks in my studio all kinds of backgrounds um and you know, that's in my in my professional work plus what I'm doing here in you know now in this in this profession, um, it's 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 open to all. I mean, and and I try to walk that walk. Uh, now, if there's something that is going on that I would disagree with, I, I'll say it too, right? And it, but that has yet to, that has really yet to happen. So um, I try to. Uh, be a good example for people and certainly there's been times i've witnessed to people in my studio about that walk uh the story i told you you know about the flood right uh you know i was very transparent it was really god that got me through that right mm -hmm. um but you know this this studio is is open to all doesn't mean they all want to work with me or work with danny yeah so and and we've been blessed in that the people that have come to us they've come to us with a purpose and it's been, you know, I have, I have yet to have a reason to turn anybody away. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's very good. Well, I appreciate you sharing uh, that perspective without fail. Definitely. And uh, so I guess we can move into this disruption. We were talking a little bit about uh, disruption right. and how you help businesses and how you're able to see disruption in technology a mile away and what your solution has been particularly for your studio that's what so, got me sitting in the seat that you're sitting in right now <laughs> right about here but right. <laughs> i'll explain that in a minute uh, right. 
after we rebuilt and we're coming out of the uh, second flood, I, I had a I had some time off from my um, my technology profession. I had a nice break, and I really did some soul searching, thinking, okay, what what are we what are we going to really do here to turn this, you know, to turn this into uh, a healthy business at the same time still serving people because i i you know the kind of 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 musicians that we work with most of them are on their way up and you know there's an element of of our mission which is to try to help people break through and move up the ladder and basically um you know find their way in this really tough industry and again i've been blessed to get to know some people in the industry and we're all that same mindset right it's 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 the it's the neighborhood it's the village if you will the approach so you know really my my studio i'm proud of it it's a nice place but in houston texas there's probably 20 other choices just in houston of studios that will be bigger than mine and probably have more equipment and and our our fine choices as well in fact i i know a lot of those guys and and they are there there's really you know houston austin nashville i mean you can go a lot of places and record your music again my secret weapon danny jones like if you want to work with a really really good producer engineer musician i didn't even mention what a great drummer he is uh you know, then you can come here. And, and for a lot of musicians who are trying to find their way in a reasonable economical uh, way, this this studio makes sense. One of the things I bring to the equation, Jerry, in our, in our studio is I bring a project management approach. Like I've spent my career getting stuff done. I mean, in my business, you got to get stuff done. And so I try to work with the musicians to put together a budget. A lot of them don't even understand that basic concept. Let's put together a budget. Let's put together a plan. Let's talk really what this is going to cost you to make a quality record. And people have come to me for that reason. And we've done that. And then other people have gone other way, other places, because Frankly, I'm probably a little too honest with them about what it takes, but that's okay. Because I want to work with the people who come eyes wide open, and we're very, you know, very transparent in that. So as we're going along, though, thinking about okay, where do we go from here? You know, and again, very proud of some of the things we've done, but still, you know, understanding where we are in the marketplace. In and this is going to uh, take us into our Atmos discussion. So late in the, the fall of, of 2021, um, I began hearing more about Apple Music and their spatial audio. And I was interested by that. And my son, in fact, who is an Apple guy, you know, introduced it to me. And I thought, wow, this, this is pretty cool. Like, I kind of enjoy listening to music in this way. And so just out of because I can't help myself and I'm always interested in these technology you know, changes, I started doing some research and I learned that Dolby was coming into the music 
industry as well, that they were going to incorporate their Dolby Atmos product with the digital audio workstation, and they were wanting to bring immersive audio uh, into the music industry. And that piqued my interest because, you know, it isn't that Dolby is a new technology, okay? it's It's been in the movie. If you've been in the movies the last 15 years, chances are you've heard Dolby. That's that's what makes, you know, the Millennium Falcon zoom across your head, right? And and, the, and if you think about how they have been developing that product, because in a movie setting, the sound quality is really important. And so they had done an excellent job of not only creating the technology that allows for the movement, but also improving the sound quality as well. Yes. And and they've been in the film industry for now 15 16 years doing that and and very successfully and i love that i love you know you always pick i at least always pick the atmos theater right <laughs> not every theater is atmos i always go for those just because i enjoy that that part of it right so when i heard that they were going to come into now music the light went off for me and i said oh wait wait a second this this is more about a technology shift than most people are going to understand. And I started thinking about it. And what got me kind of excited about this is I, I went back to my youth, my childhood, and I thought about the day my dad came home with our first stereo. Mm. Right? Me and my, my brothers, I'm the youngest of six kids and older sister, we we were all music lovers and, you know, as you, as you were, you know, back then dancing to the Beatles and stuff in mono. And my dad shows up with this stereo and we were like, what is this? And he put on this, you know, the age of stereo, which was like a, a, a bowling ball rolling across the room and then a, a ping pong ball bouncing and the door slamming and all these things. And we were just like amazed by that. And then, he put on a Herb Albert in the Tijuana Brass album in stereo. And I was just captivated. I was like, oh my, what is this? And then, of course, from there, you know, and, and that was just a, a point in time, but stereo was really taken off. When I went back and looked into this, though, you know, stereo was invented in the 1930s. Hmm. And so it had been around a long time by the, you know, 1970, when I'm talking about, right? 1968, 1970, when my dad did that. And so I started thinking, okay, well, I wonder why, you know, like what, what, why didn't stereo take off? And then it started kind of dawning on me. Well, there wasn't, it was expensive. There wasn't a lot of content. It wasn't readily available. It wasn't adopted and accepted by the people creating the content. There was a investment that needed to be made, both from the recording side of it, but also the production side, the distribution side. And so it hit me like what really turned stereo on its ear was FM radio when it could be broadcast. Mm -hmm 
therefore made widely available and pretty quickly like you weren't you weren't a cool kid if you didn't have you know a stereo and if you were a teenager driving your first car right if you didn't have two speakers in the back they could play fm radio and i you know i can't tell you how many times me and my buddies are pulling out the am radio and just throwing it to the side and (laughs) installing us you know a stereo system in the in our cars because that was it was just so it was just awesome and it's just like wow that's how you listen to music yeah so when i think about that and i thought about what i had heard in the movie theaters with atmos and then what i heard the spatial audio that apple was producing i said all right i'm gonna figure this out because that would be something that would distinguish our studio like if we could become really good at mixing dolby atmos that would be an advantage an early early adopter advantage and you know that's something that people you know i i I now have clients on the west coast in you know other countries because They'd send me their their tracks and we mix it in Atmos. And then and then also it has to be mastered. So we use Coast Mastering. They're really an awesome Atmos. I mean, they do all kinds of audio mastering, but they do Atmos mastering. They're kind of pioneering that. So um so you know it. I took a bit of a gamble because I thought, you know, this is these disruptions, they don't really come around that often. And technology disruptions are seldom nice, neat, well planned things. They typically happen kind of jerky, and somebody will do this, and then somebody will do this, and then somebody will make it do this. And then before you know it, it kind of starts to come together. Yeah. So we jumped into this. I did kind of bravely because I I knew that my technology background would serve me well, and it did. It is much a technology project as anything, and there's a lot you have to think about when you're converting a studio over to a new technology. In this case, Dolby Atmos. Yeah. It isn't for the faint of heart. I'll tell you that. <laughs> How much? Uh, if I may ask, was the learning curve when you said, okay, we're going to do this. You decided to have it installed um, two months, three months before. So I'm going to tell you that it took us a good year to get everything. Now, there was a construction aspect to it because one of the things one has to do is have speakers in your ceiling. So I can't, you know, above my head is is four speakers i had to build a ceiling cloud by which to mount those speakers um and then of course we started this in the middle of a pandemic so there was certain hardware that was back ordered for six months in some cases because of chip shortages yeah and and software that needed to be upgraded so like our first version of some of the software we got wasn't really all that great it was like more like beta versions that we we had to we had to bear with while they got some software upgraded um and then you know so 
what I did, and again, this is some of my training. So I was smart enough to know what I don't know. So I reached out to some people on the West Coast, uh, a company called Alt Systems, who had been building Dolby theaters, you know, sound rooms, if you will. And I met a guy named Richard McCurndon. And this tells you how small the world is, okay? So Richard, we're talking and I'm telling him what I'm trying to do. And he's immediately interested. He, he tells me, well, we haven't done a lot of that yet, Dave, but let's talk about it. And in our discussion, I happened to mention Danny Jones. <laughs> and, and he asked, you know, that name sounds familiar. What has what he done? And I said, well, my favorite thing he's done is he, he worked on Stevie Ray Vaughan's In Step album. He, he did a lot of the guitar recording and Richard says to me I recorded the vocal session out here in California on that record <laughs> so thankfully there was a bond and he got interested in what we were doing and he he helped me tremendously I'll forever be grateful mm. and there's you know a, a system called dart that Dolby you know you get you provide the dimensions of the room you're working in and they'll run this this program if you will to tell you is the room big enough what size speakers should one use where should they be placed you know and they really help you figure out how to you know just placement of of the speakers in the room things like that so so you know, getting help from other people in a technology that's, you know, in the early stages is hugely important. Yeah. And thankfully, you know, there's a, a lot of people out there and, I, and I, I have the same attitude. I believe in the paying it forward. So, you know, helping others. Uh, there's a gentleman in Texas that was, you know, named Chris Bell, who's an awesome um, mm -hmm. mixer over in Austin who was pioneering this before us. Mm -hmm. And he's been tremendous, tremendously helpful to us and is an awesome guy. And uh, we, you know, we visited his studio. He showed us everything. He helps us. We share ideas. We, we share plugins. And have you tried this? And have you tried that? And I'm very fortunate to just know him. And he's also been a tremendous help to us. So, yeah. Wow. But uh, so so you took the year and uh, you began uh, experimenting with different sounds, different music, different bands coming in. And from from that standpoint of the installation, how did you how did you put the context all together? I mean, this is walking on water here. So, <laughs> well, again, my training is all about software and hardware implementation, integration, testing, figuring out how to make things work. So I applied the stuff I've been doing for 40 years to this, to myself. Mm. And you've got to be very, you know, thoughtful and diligent. I had a work plan. I, you know, we did, we did testing, all kinds of testing on with different, you know, different, uh, sounds um you know the and, and a lot of a lot of reading and learning and there's 
there's a you know it's, it can be a bit uh, daunting. There's a lot of stuff out there in the in the internet. Um, some of it is good, and some of it will send you down a rat hole. So you've got to have a, an idea for which is really helping and which is really hindering mm -hmm. uh, one in terms of getting this set up. And it was a bit frustrating because there were some days where you know, uh, you know, things just we just couldn't figure out like certain things weren't working the way we thought they would work and mm. but uh, perseverance is important you can't you can't give up uh danny said to me one day and i'll never forget it he said looked at me in one of those dark days he said dave if i was a quitter i'd quit <laughs> <laughs> if I and I said, well you're not and i'm not and we're not quitting we're going forward right and we did so and and it's it's you know it's it's paid off i mean you've heard the you've heard the end result of that so absolutely so so the question is now i know you've had sessions recording sessions since i've left houston to return to ohio are those right. uh atmos sessions or do you you know is there a way that you can go back and just have a normal stereo session after hearing that well, a absolutely all the above. Okay, so let me let me tackle that in a couple ways. Yeah. So first off, let's let's talk about you know going back in the wayback machine, right? Yes. So if you can get the tracks, in some cases, eight tracks from a tape, and as long as you can get that converted over into the digital realm. Uh, you know, then we can do some things with it in Atmos. So you're remixing, really, is what you're doing. Um, and so, if you have a if you have a good stereo mix, then you've gone a long way to having a good Atmos mix. I'm just we are just going to make it better. Mm. Uh, and so you know we've been very successful taking some some things that are you know in some cases 40 years old and mixing those in atmos and they sound they sound great Amazing. doesn't hurt that they sounded great already right <laughs> um and but just you know what what and you've heard this and yes. and without without a fail everyone who sat in the chair in my studio they notice a clarity that they don't feel like they heard before. So let me just try to explain in words. And as you said, Jerry, words words don't do this justice. But but think of the movie theater. Think of music, though, coming at you 360 degrees. So all around, you know, in my studio, the music coming to the center. And it doesn't just come from the edge also. This is the immersive nature of it. And this is, I give credit to Dolby for pioneering and figuring this out. I mean, if I want to have the singer sound like he's singing to me right here, I can, I can move him into the room. I can, or her, I can move her around the room. Correct. I can move stuff music instruments around the room i could i could move a marching band across the room it's it's so you have to apply like what you've heard in that movie theater most people say two things the immersive nature it's like i hear 
I hear instruments in these some of these songs that I've heard before that I didn't even know they were there. I had I had one, this is kind of funny. I had one artist who we'd done, you know, stereo recordings for, and we're now mixing his uh, record in Atmos. And we were doing kind of a preview with him. So he came in kind of art of the possible and I showed him what we were doing. And at one point he's like, we recorded an acoustic guitar in that song. <laughs> like it's your song like how, how did you forget that he's like oh man i forgot we did that it sounds awesome because it's over my shoulder right now right. and and so that was kind of funny and but people talk about the clarity that they hear like and they and they the musicians will comment i feel like i'm on stage with the band correct correct so where this is heading though, okay, is okay, yeah, Dave, that's all sounds like some cool stuff. But what's your interest in it? And, and this is this is this is where this disruption of technology is happening, is it's quickly coming to a phone near you, a car near you, a 2023 Mercedes, you can get an Atmos sound system okay in in the car other manufacturers are already announcing that they're they're going to follow suit and do the same um the home theater systems already most of them already have it but the smart tvs are going to be equipped with atmos they're making some really nice sound bars for those home systems they're going to be full atmos sound bars so they're making headphones that will play what they call a binaural uh, mix, but that's still Atmos. So it's coming and it's coming quickly. And frankly, there isn't enough Atmos content to meet the demand that's coming. But I tell you what, I mean, you experienced my studio and what that sounded like. I did. But if you go sit in one of those Mercedes, oh my gosh. I mean, it is like, all right, I talked about the two stereo, the speakers in the back for sure. the stereo. <laughs> An Atmos sound system in a car, it is like the way music was meant to be listened to. It is crazy good. And so it is it's coming and coming much more quickly than people understand. I, you know, I asked Dave this question and, um, you know, you can go back if you're watching this or listening to it and go back to my, my conversation, uh, with Dave on this podcast. And he told me to ask you, cause he said, <laughs> I mean, Danny, uh, Danny Jones. So go back and listen to that conversation. Cause he said, ask Dave, because Dave's a technical guy. Uh, what you said about the car experience. I mean, you know, I, after sitting there and listening to all of that, I don't know how a person could drive. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just, it changes the entire situation of driving. I thought the, the family theater, the home theater is going to change. And if you're in another part of the house, because generally you could just move around your house, you know, the music is on somewhere, but 
it's going to really affect the way you listen to music because I don't think that too many people are going to want to move from that sweet spot that they found. Right. So it's it's going to be interesting. So I didn't even touch on the fact that it's also coming to live performances. Gee. So Carlos Santon Santana has already done a live Atmos performance. And I believe there's other people. I'm not 100% sure he was first, but I know in Vegas that he has done an Atmos live performance. And I heard nothing but rave reviews about it. Uh, there's a, a club owner here in Houston who's actually come out and visited with me. And he's converting his club, which is also a music venue, over to Atmos because he sees the possibilities, not just for listening, but live performances. Uh, so it is, you know, and, and let me tell you, and I, I get this, like in technology, you're gonna have your detractors and your naysayers and your people who think, ah, oh, this is a passing fad. Yeah. Those were the same guys who were saying, you know, mono is king, like keep mixing to mono. And they, you know, and then a few years later, they're like, well, we were ridiculous because, you know, it's all about stereo now. Right. I should also mention, though, there's competing formats like Sony's got their own immersive format that I'm sure is equally good. Um, and, you know, Apple is doing things with their spatial audio. I know Apple has hired some people away from Dolby, so I suspect they're pivoting more towards what Dolby is doing, but I don't know that for sure. Wow. Um, and so, again, as I said earlier, as with technology disruptions, it tends to be a bit messy and it's bumpy and things happen quickly. Mm -hmm. uh, but I can tell you the thing that, that, that kind of sold me on it was the listening experience. It's just, I, so I, ha I have a friend who's an audiophile got a stereo that's, you know, way too expensive for most people. And he spent years developing this stereo system, trying to get that kind of optimum live sounding stereo performance. You know, he, he only, he only play high resolution recordings and, and, you know, he's, he's a little bit in an audiophile, right? A little bit. And so he was very hesitant to come listen to my studio because, you know, Atmos is, is still being recorded at a, a lesser um, rate. And he even joked like, oh, David, it's going to hurt my ears, but okay, I'll, I'll, I'll come have a listen just to placate you. And then when he was done listening, <laughs> he, he was almost in tears and he looked at me and said oh my gosh how am i gonna tell my wife that i gotta add all these all these new speakers and he's like i've been chasing the wrong thing dave um God. this is ultimately like how he always wanted to hear that stereo music wow. immersed felt like he was on the stage in the music mm -hmm. that's really what it does um yeah. and if as you've heard, I mean, you you tell me, you tell your audience. You sat in the chair, right here, right there, and I played you some stuff. Right. What was what was what was your impression? I I was on the stage, 
you know, the uh, trombone section was right here. <laughs> the drummer <laughs> was right here. The bass player was right here. I mean, I was surrounded by all of these people. And uh, never, and these were songs, you played songs that I've been listening to most of my life, which was, which was kind of frustrating because like the guy who recorded his own acoustic guitar and didn't know it was in the mix, I mean, I just felt like, wow, I've been hearing that song since I was a little kid. Never heard the purity of the background vocals, the way they just right. stand out. It's absolutely amazing. But that leads me that leads me to a couple more questions. I don't want to keep you too long, but I have to ask you then with respect to because you can describe around us. I'm, I'm thinking you have the three speakers in front of you, but you have four on top of you, right? Four right. on top and four in back plus the subwoofer. Correct. Right. Right. Now, so the. Are there different configurations so that when you talked about the soundboard, smart TVs, having them, is everyone, you know, in their home theater going to have to build that uh, sound ceiling, that ceiling cloud? Good question. Good question. Uh, so let me explain the Atmos format that I have, and then I'll tell you some really cool things about the Atmos technology. So. This is this studio is a 7.4.1 um, setup, and you're right. I have three speakers across the front, two in the back, and two to the side. And so, at the horizontal circle that surrounds me, there's seven speakers. That's kind of the minimum amount that one needs to do what we're trying to do. Four in the ceiling. And then the one is the subwoofer. So 7.4.1, seven horizontally, four in the ceiling, and then one subwoofer. They are all exactly equidistant from that center point where I set you. Gotcha. So that the music coming from them will hit that spot as near simultaneously as you could possibly make it. And that's so when we're in here mixing the music, we understand what reverbs and delays and things are doing in the mix. So it's that's that's awfully important for the Atmos mixing process that it that they that it's set up that way. Now, the Atmos listening is going to be a bit different because the Atmos technology, first off, it has data that goes along with it. It more or less understands what I'm being played on. So if you're playing an Atmos track and it's it's like, oh, this is stereo, it will present itself as a stereo mix. Hmm. Interesting. If it, if it realizes this person has a 5.1 configuration, which is still pretty standard home theater configuration. Um, three speakers across the front and two in the back and a subwoofer. Uh, it will recognize I'm being played on 5.1 and it will fold itself to 5.1. And it, it will adjust to the system it's being played on. Amazing. Yeah, it really is. It really is amazing technology. Now, I, I have no proof about what I'm about to say, but 
I've had some people suggest that the stereo mixes that are provided by the Dolby Atmos, they say that to them, they sound better than just the stereo mix. Hmm. Now, so myself, yeah, and I don't, myself, I'm not 100% convinced yet that's the case. Um, and then also, let me let me answer another question that you asked earlier, Jerry. I forgot to answer this, but you also asked about the Atmos recording process. Let me just touch on that. Um, traditional methods are perfectly fine, right? Traditional tried and true stereo recording, getting a, stere a good stereo mix and, and the stems that go along with it. You can do a tremendous amount with Atmos. However, there's some cool things you can do with mic placement that will enhance the Atmos, you know, mixing. And again, this is kind of the wild, wild west, but just consider things like drums instead of two stereo overhead microphones, which are used to panning, kind of catching the drum kit left and right. Right. Imagine placing four of them, you know slightly you know to the back of the drum kit slightly forward of the drum kit and then perhaps using those up in the ceiling you know uh and and then room placement of guitars like you could place you know you got your you got your mic right up against that amp which is traditionally what we do but place a place a microphone across the room and then use that to create a really natural reverb you know so have the guitar coming out of you in the front and then at a slightly lower volume coming out the back in a, in a reverb, in a reverb. There's, so it's the wild, wild west. Uh, we're working with a gentleman that recorded an entire marching band wow. and he, he did it with Atmos in mind. And he was like, I'm not really sure where to put these microphones. So I'm going to put them everywhere. And that's what he did. And it's awesome because we're, we're very, very early stages of that project. But there's a lot to choose from. I'll tell you that. So um, he was, you know, again, he's he was forward thinking and he put mics, you know, low and high and left and right and in front of the band and behind the band and you know each section of the band and i actually think that's that's going to sound awesome i think we're going to be able to do a lot with that so one one final question one and a half final questions the, sure. the first would be you know after blowing my mind with that like what is next I mean, is there anything that you can see 30 years from now that's going to come along and they're going to go, oh, yeah, that Dolby Atmos, that was Mono. Mono. <laughs> yeah, some guy's going to be telling the story like I'm telling it. Yeah, man, those guys who stuck with Atmos, you know, man, they're just. And I suspect, well, that again, you know, think about think about the technology disruptions that have already happened in the music industry, right? So if you think we talked about mono to stereo, right? That's that's kind of a music format disruption. But you know, I I tell people like I remember my brother gave me for Christmas an eight track tape, mm -hmm. right? It was Three Dog Night, and I was in first grade, and he had an eight track player in his car, 
and that was that meant mobility like wow i could take my music and go drive around with my brother i thought that was awesome and then cassette tapes came what could you do Walking. you could make a mixtape right, right. Like, <laughs> you know and so it was my music like the stuff i liked could go right. on that tape and then you know digital became a thing cds right i mean that was that was a big thing and and then for 20 years i mean people bought cds played cds cd players came into all the cars it was first like a a non-standard option but three or four years later every car had a cd player exactly today this day cars still yeah well there's a few of them do but you're right and what have they been replaced with streaming capabilities exactly. right they, they you got to make sure bluetooth is a thing and that you can let people connect their phone you know to your to the car and it you know the phones have become car players so so i have no doubt that something else will come along um i think this will you know these these technologies like i said it's not like overnight and the whole thing is going to change because even CDs, you can still buy CDs. I mean, you can still buy vinyl albums. I'm one of the weird guys who still buys vinyl because I still like listening to vinyl. Yeah, man. So I have no doubt there'll be something that comes after Dolby. I, I think Dolby, the company, will continue to, um, you know, pioneer, continue to innovate their product, offer new things. Uh, they, you know, and they, and I, I think that uh, I think the idea of immersive audio is here to stay. I think it will only just get better, and there'll be more ways that it's presented on more devices, in more places, in more venues, live performances. You know, all kinds of of different things are coming, where immersive audio is going to be a part of it. And probably 15 years from now, you won't imagine like, you know, and, and I, I honestly, I'll, I'll be full transparent here. When I, because we still do a lot of stereo stuff. And when I flip my system back to stereo, I have to adjust my expectations in my ears because I'm like, okay, now I'm back to stereo, ho-hum. Uh, right. I'm almost sure of that. So... Uh, before I uh, let you go here, I have to ask you the absolute most important question of the evening. I mean, it's more sure. important than Adobe. It's more important than what type of gear you're running and software and your DAW. It's more important than Apple and Mac. But when I was in the backseat of, of your truck and you guys had blown my mind, you treated me to some oh my god texas barbecue <laughs> would you please shout out the restaurant that we were at when i ate that wonderful brisket absolutely well i do know this about about different parts of the country like different parts got a little bit of thing about their barbecue right but right. i'm a texan right born and raised in texas and I'll tell you, so brisket is the thing here. Mm, like you, if you can't make a good brisket and you're trying to be a barbecue place in Texas, good luck. Right. And so um, near my, 
my hometown, which is San Antonio, uh, there was a, on the outs, outskirts of town was a barbecue company that started called Rudy's. Mm. And they literally started in like, probably it was some old barns and outbuildings of, of something, you know, it had the screened in porch and you walked in and you went through cafeteria style and you went outside and ate at the picnic tables. And I started going there, I don't know, many, many, many years ago, because it was kind of, eventually we moved out of San Antonio um, up to a little town called Comfort, and it was on the way home, basically. So so Rudy's has now gotten very popular in, in multiple places in the state. Now, if I'm not mistaken, they're starting to open places outside of Texas. But yeah, if you go to Rudy's, you're going to see that it's, it's kind of decorated like a barn and you you still go through the cafeteria line they still serve you the food on paper right there's no there's no trees they'll they'll cut the barbecue for you right behind you know on the butcher block and they'll slap it on that piece of paper and and you go sit down at a picnic table and eat it even though it's air conditioning and you're inside now and the the places are much bigger than the original rudy's but yeah rudy's Rudy's is uh, now kind of a Texas institution. If you see it, stop, get the moist, moist brisket. That's the one to get. If you like corn, get the cream corn, right? And uh, you'll you'll definitely uh, thank thank uh, well you'll you'll thank Jerry for making the recommendation because <laughs> I probably wouldn't have said anything. No, that was just as much of an immersive experience <laughs> as, yeah, as yeah. the atmosphere. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. You walk in, the smell hits you. You're like, oh my gosh, oh, where yeah. am I? Right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's man. right. Well, I thank you so much, Dave, man. Thanks for explaining uh, to us, you know, what Atmos is, what it will become, uh, where we've come from, where we're going, and just for being an all around great guy, man. I, I am coming back to Texas at, at some point, um, hopefully before the end of the year. And I'll know I'll hang out with you and Danny while I'm there. But I'm so very, yep. very grateful for your friendship. I'm grateful for the man that you are and uh, what you bring to the table sonically, man. Thank you, brother. I appreciate that, Jerry. And, I, you know, I, I feel the same, you know, the, the time we spent together, um, getting to know each other. And, you know, uh, honestly, what I, whatever I can do to help, that, that's honestly my wife and my mission, you know, where we are in the stage of our life. I, I would like to see, I think here's the opportunity, right? Let me say this in closing. Sure. Right now, if you just think about this as content, okay, this music, stereo sound recordings, I don't know how many there is, but I'll bet you that's in the tens of million, right? Sure. So there's a, a sea, if you will, of stereo sound recordings available to the listeners and artists who are trying to break through, you know, they're up against all of that history, all of that stuff that's already there and available. And breaking through can be tremendously hard. I think there's a window of opportunity, though, because over in this little pond called the Dolby Atmos content, right? The Dolby Atmos sound recordings. There's not really a lot of real Dolby Atmos. Now, let me give you a, a 
a tip. Like some organizations are taking stereo mixes, stereo masters, and just spreading them out around the room and calling that Atmos. It technically is, but what we're doing though is if you can get to the source files, right? The original tracks, and you can place, you know, the guitar over here and the background vocals on the side and the the B3 up in the ceiling and you can you create a different you know a whole different experience and there's going to be a time where demand is going to outstrip the content that's true so the people who see this opportunity there's going to be some people that are going to make it because they're going they're going to be they're going to have a really good product and they're going to make the leap to get their product into Dolby Atmos. And instead of having, you know, 10 million plus choices to who I want to listen to, I'm going to go, hey, wait a minute. I, you know, I don't know who this is, but okay, they got something in Atmos. And frankly, there's not enough. Let me listen to this. That opportunity is probably not going to come again in, in our lifetime to, 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 to be able to address a burgeoning market where content has not yet developed. So that's my theory, my opinion, but I really think there's a window of opportunity here for people to take advantage of the early stages of where we are with Dolby Atmos. Absolutely excellent. Well, I appreciate that. And uh, I trust and pray I'll be one of those artists, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> send me your send me your stems we'll, we'll make it happen <laughs> absolutely you can count on it you can count on it this is dave Beautiful. inninger dave is from across the road studios across the road productions you can reach him at across the road.net very easy to get to his website and uh, there's a little tour of the studio in there of course you know i don't think there's any stems that you can hear from the website for dolby atmos but I'm sure they'll be working on it, right? I don't know what I don't know what people would listen to it on at this point. So. <laughs> That's true. That's true as well. But uh, all around great guy. This is Dave. Dave is an entree musician. My name is Jerry B. I am an entree musician. I want you to go to the entreemusician.com, join our community. Don't forget to order our best-selling book. It's called The Path of the Entree Musician, Nine Keys to Unlock Your Mindset, Discipline, and Focus. Got to do it. You heard Dave talk about perseverance. It's mindset, discipline, and focus on steroids. So peace and blessings to you. We look forward to seeing you next time. God bless. <laughs>